Christ. And that is our core identity. It doesn't change no matter what job we have or where we're at in the season of life. There's a core identity that we have that God gives us in Christ. And as we think about that, a good place to look for the answers is in our baptism. What do the waters of baptism have to say to us about our identity? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I want to especially pick up on what Paul writes about in Colossians chapter 2. Because here he is talking about the significance of baptism and identity issues surrounding baptism. And there are three aspects of it that I want to, uh, to draw out here. The first is this. In the waters of baptism, God says, you are part of my family. You are part of my covenant family. And I derive this from what Paul says in verse 11 when he starts to talk about circumcision. Because circumcision was the Old Testament sign, the covenant sign, that you belong to this family, the family of God. And Paul says, in him, that is in Christ, also you were circumcised. Now he's talking to non-Jews, Gentile Christians. You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. This is the work of God in your life that's signified by baptism. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And then he talks about being buried with Christ in baptism. So I think he's making an explicit connection between circumcision and baptism here. And he's saying to these Christians who've not been given the the sign of circumcision in their flesh, oh yes, you do have a covenant sign. There is a sign that you belong to the family of God, and that is baptism. So in the waters of baptism, God is saying to us, you are my son, you are my daughter, you belong to this family, the family of God. You are part of the family. And so the words that God spoke to his only begotten son, the unique son, he speaks to us, Through adoption, as we put our faith in Jesus, we are brought into the family of God. This is signified in baptism. You are my son. You are my daughter. You're not alone. You're part of this eternal covenant family of God. I came across an article recently as a a pastor named Andrew Walker from London, and he, he writes about the waters of baptism. And he said, you know, sometimes the waters of baptism divide Christians. It's been a big issue that divides Christians. Um, Christians divide over how we should administer baptism, right? Some sprinkle like we do and like we did this morning with, uh, with Cameron. I, I do more of a sprinkle pour kind of thing with Cameron this morning. Some uh, traditions immerse and dunk people. That's how I was baptized as a little boy. Um, in one part of the early church, baptism involved going into the water, being dunked three times, and then uh, in the name of the Trinity, each time for a member of the Trinity, and then being anointed with oil on the forehead, which we still do today, but also anointed on the ear and, and on the nose, and I think it was even on the chest. All that had symbolic meaning, all those different anointings. And so uh, throughout time, there have been different ways 
uh, to baptize, and that's divided Christians. And then, of course, Christians are divided over who to baptize, you know? Uh, some Christians believe ba- we should only baptize those who have professed faith, uh, believers only baptism, and, and, and uh, other traditions like ours, we baptize infants because we believe that baptism is a covenant sign. And that covenant sign was given to, um, to uh, male, young, uh, young males in the Old Testament covenant. When God gave this covenant sign to Abraham in Genesis 17, he said, this will be a sign in your flesh. And you are to give this sign to every male eight days old. So the Old Testament, the Old Covenant sign was given to infants. And likewise, we give that, um, that covenant sign to infants today, the New Covenant sign today. But we have been divided over this as a, as a church. Uh, the church, I'm talking about the global church, has been divided. But... Uh, the waters of baptism also unite us as a family. No matter when you've been baptized, how you've been baptized, you've been marked as a child of God and belonging to his family. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father. One family. You've been given this sign, it says you're part of the family of God. And in this article, Andrew Walker, he goes on and then he talks about how, the, how we can see baptism as a symbol of unity. Because oftentimes we focus on the divisions and there's a time and place for that. But he talks about how he, li- he lives by the English Channel. And he's only a couple hundred yards from the English Channel, his house is. And he says, sometimes when I walk past the, the English Channel, the thought strikes me. And then I'm going to quote what he says. He says... Um, Every day, if they choose, Americans, Nigerians, Indians, Egyptians, Brazilians can step from their utterly different context into one massive, all-embracing body of water. On land, we are divided, but when we get into the water, we are together in one sea. He uses that as a metaphor, an image of how we're united as one family through the waters of baptism. So to be baptized means this is a fundamental identity. I belong to this global, eternal, covenant family of God. I am not alone. This is who I am. So that's one key identity marker or one aspect of our identity given to us in baptism. And then baptism tells me that I belong to the new creation. I am a new creature in Christ. Through Christ, I have been given new life. Look at what Paul says in verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul is using this image of going down into baptism and being raised back up as being buried with Christ to an old way of life and then being raised to a new way of life. So in Christ, we have, we have died to the old way of life, to the old creation. And that is a way that is, is, is energized, is animated by sin and rebellion against God and alienation from God. 
It, it is a way of life that, again, gains energy by turning from God. And um, we have been, in Christ, turned in a new direction. We have been raised to a new form of life. Under the old life, the life of sin and evil and, and the fear of death, that's an old life that grips people. But we have been set free in Christ to a new way of life. And baptism is a sign of that. Now, Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, said, in the waters of baptism, the old Adam is drowned. The old way of life. But the old Adam is a pretty good swimmer. And so, you know, he pops up again. And, and we've got to remember who we are in Christ and push the old life down, the old Adam down. As long as we are in this life, we are going to fight against the world and the flesh and the devil and those evil impulses. But we don't fight alone. We fight with the power of Christ. The Spirit of Christ lives within us. The Spirit of the risen Christ. You've been raised to new life in Christ. God raised Him from the dead and He's raised us through our union with Christ to a new way of life. And so we have this resource, this internal strength, this internal life that lives within us. And baptism is a picture of this new life. Even Jesus' baptism, which we celebrate today and we remember today, is filled with symbolisms of new creation. You know, the, in, in, in Genesis 1, the imagery there, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. So you have this imagery of water the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, and then God speaking. And then at Jesus' baptism, you have the Spirit like a dove hovering over the waters. And you have God speaking. And God saying, God revealing, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the servant of God. This is the one through whom new life is going to come. God is doing a new work. There's going to be a recreation. And those who are united to this one his beloved son, are going to experience this new life. And so that connection is made, I think, the connection is symbolic there in the Gospels. And Paul is bringing this out quite explicitly here in Colossians, this connection between baptism and, and new life. And so we need to remember that. And Paul wants us, uh, Paul wants the Colossians to remember this, that all they need for a spiritual life all they need for a full and powerful spiritual life is in Christ. Um, the problem in Colossians was there were false teachers who were saying, Christ isn't enough for you. There's other spiritual powers that you need to start paying attention to. Other spiritual entities. And it's like a, a, a series of links on a chain. And Jesus is at the top, but there's these other links that you have to pay attention to or you're going to be in trouble. And they brought this in from their pagan spirituality. There's other entities, spiritual entities you need to pay attention to. And there's other spiritual practices that you need to do if you're going to experience true freedom and spiritual life. That's what these false teachers were saying. And Paul says, no, there's only one link. There's only one mediator, and that is Jesus Christ. And in him, the fullness of the deity dwells bodily. The fullness of God, all of God is in Jesus. So all that you need spiritually is in Jesus Christ. You don't need to look elsewhere and you ought not to look elsewhere. To do so would be idolatrous. 
So all you need is Jesus. Jesus is enough for this new life, for the spiritual life that you're looking for. And so that was a rival teacher teaching in the Colossian church. And I wonder what a rival teaching today to this gospel message that all you need is Christ. Spiritually speaking, all you need is Christ. I wonder what the rival teaching today would be in our culture. Um, Yes, I think part of it is maybe look elsewhere, add Jesus into the mix of your spiritual uh, search. But but maybe it would be uh, instead of uh, Christ isn't enough, the popular teaching today would be no, you're enough. You don't need to look to Christ. You look within yourself to find spiritual freedom, to find spiritual power. That's a very strong message in our culture. Don't look away from yourself. Look within yourself. Discover who you are and your identity by looking within. And as Christians, we say, discover who you were made to be by looking at Christ, who is the image of God, the perfect image of God. We are all image bearers. How do we grow to become a reflection of who God is? We do that through union with Christ and by looking to him. He's the perfect image bearer. And then we grow into the person that God has made us to be, to reflect in a unique way his image. But it's not by looking within. It's by looking without, looking to Christ for the new life that's to come, that comes in him. And uh, I was reminded of this when I read a a testimony of of a lady who was involved in the New Age movement, New Age spirituality, which has a lot of this look within yourself. And she was talking about her transition out of that into Christianity. And she said a key moment for her was when she was with somebody who was one of these New Age type gurus. And uh, this lady happened to be at a restaurant. She was holding court there and there were people around her listening to her pearls of wisdom about looking within and this and that and finding the light within yourself, you know. And uh, she said, this lady who was giving the testimony is named Mary. She said, you know, I, while I, was, while I was entranced by this woman and she just seemed to be radiating this light. And then after that was over, after we had dinner, we got to the parking lot and this lady had a car accident. Somebody rammed into, I think she actually backed into somebody else. And she said it wasn't light anymore coming from her. <laughs> it was a lot of ugliness, a lot of evil, a lot of anger. And she was shrieking in anger at this person. And this person said, wait a second. This is who you really are. See, the heart reveals who we are. What comes out of our mouth, Jesus says, reveals the gunk that's inside of us. And that needs to be changed. That needs to be transformed. What's inside of us? A lot of, there's a lot of darkness and evil apart from Christ. And so we don't look within. We look to him. We look to him to be cleansed. We look for the Holy Spirit to renovate us so that we can be made more and more like Jesus. So we need this new life. And that's what God has given us in Christ. And baptism is a sign of this. And we, we, need, we need to remember this and recall this, especially when we face temptation to sin and to rebel against God. This is not who I am. This is not my identity. I belong to the new creation. When we're facing fears and doubts and despair, this is not who I am. I'm a new creation, new, new creation in Christ. I belong to the new creation. When we think about our own mortality and the fear of death, we don't let that grip us because we belong to the new creation. We belong to the risen Christ who is triumphant over the grave. 
And so this is a core identity of who we are. And then the third thing I want to point out to um, point us uh, to is is that we have been forgiven. We are forgiven in Christ. And this is symbolized again in baptism. He says in verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. This is our spiritual condition apart from Christ dead in our sin and trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made it alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. So um, Paul goes on in the next verse to to explain how God did this, that God forgave our trespasses at the cross. Verse 14, it's not in the bulletin, but in verse 14, he talks about how our trespasses have been forgiven by God. He bore them away. He took them away and he nailed the record of debt. Okay, trespasses. Think about trespasses, what that word conjures up for you. The sign (laughs) conjures up in my mind, a sign. Don't trespass. Right. And, and trespasses means we've crossed the line. We've crossed the limit. We've gone over God's boundaries. And the things that we've done and the things that we have not done, that we ought to have done, we have all crossed God's boundaries. We've, got, we've crossed the, law, the, the line. We've broken God's law. But Paul says God has taken that record of us crossing the line, the trespasses, breaking God's law. He's taken that bill, so to speak, and he's put it, on the cross of His Son, Jesus Christ. He's taken it away. It's been nailed to the cross. And Christ took care of it for us. And when we understand that that is my identity, I have been forgiven through Christ of all my trespasses. Then that leads to great freedom. You know, um, if you were in great debt, let's say you didn't have the resources hardly to pay off your debt. You've got school loans. You've got the mortgage. You've got the car payment. You've got credit cards. Sounds like I know what I'm talking about, right? You're buried under this debt. I've been there. You, and you don't, and, and, and there's not much you can do. There's not much financial freedom when you're buried under debt. You can't use your resources the way maybe you want to do. But if somebody were to come and say, you know what, I'm going to take care of all this for you. You don't have the resources to pay it, but I'm going to pay off this debt. That would unleash freedom and you'd be able to use your money in the way that you feel God is calling you to do. And that's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. When, uh, when we don't understand this identity, it's easy to live under a burden of condemnation and guilt. And therefore, we don't move into the freedom of what God calls us to do. And we might say to ourselves, you know what, I'm not really good enough to do this. I, I, I've struggled with this and I'm still struggling with that. And, and there will be a voice of accusation saying, who do you think you are to do these things or to want to do these things? But if we understand our identity in Christ, you know what? I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. I've been forgiven of all my trespasses. And so I can live into that freedom of serving God and serving other people in the way that he's called me to do. And so this is our identity in Christ. And all this is, is signified in our baptism the forgiveness of sins as people are, are sprinkled or the water is poured is a, is a symbol of the forgiveness of sins in baptism. We have been given new life in Him. We are a member of God's covenant family. And the call for us here is to trust this, to believe this, to walk in it. It's not enough to just have this happen to us. 
But then we are to respond by faith in these promises. And, and Paul says that in verse 12. He says, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. So in baptism, we have these promises. We have this identity. Then our call throughout our life is to believe in that promise and to claim that identity that's been given to us in Christ Jesus. So, what part of that identity, friend, do you need to claim today for yourself? What part of that identity do you need to walk in this week? I'm a member of God's covenant family. I'm not in this alone. I'm a new creation. God has given me spiritual power and hope. Or I am totally forgiven by the grace and mercy of God. And therefore, I can walk in freedom. What part of that identity do you need to claim today? Let's pray.